0: I don't know if this is, uh, I don't know if somebody wanted me to preach to this side of the congregation. Can you guys see the pulpit? It's kind of angled this direction. I don't know. I don't know. Maybe that was the spirit. I don't know. <laughs> let's get a little more balanced. May we do that this morning? All right, yeah, let's do that. Uh, everybody's like, I'm not sure if we want to do that or not. Hey. um Shocker. Exodus. Uh, chapter 23 is where we find ourselves this morning. Um, we're actually going to finish chapter 23. So we're making progress. we only got 17 chapters left. So, you know, feel good that we're moving slowly, but we're moving. And uh, But we're finishing out chapter 23 this morning. And uh, in chapter 23... Uh, We've covered a few things, you know, we kind of come to the end of the case laws, you know, and then last week we covered the three festivals that God had wanted uh, uh, His children to remember Him throughout the year uh, regarding those things, and we touched on a few things last week uh, as we covered that scripture, right, we touched on the fact that uh, God was the ultimate provider, even when he asked the, uh, the children of Israel uh, not to come before him empty-handed. You know, God was the provider of the content that would be in those hands, right? And uh, I kind of touched on what that might mean. And uh, I'm not going to go over all that again. If, if you were not here and you want to hear that, you can go back and jump on the podcast. You can hear that. And, uh, but we are moving forward, and we're coming out of that portion of chapter 23. Now God is about to make a declaration, and they're about to make a thrust forward, okay? And so that's where we find ourselves at this morning in Exodus chapter 23. And uh, we're going to start at verse 20. So if you guys have your Bible, you can turn to Exodus chapter 23, and we'll start on um, verse 20. Verse 20. And uh, uh, I love, uh, how many of you guys, many of you have been downstairs, you've seen the uh, C.S. Lewis, uh, you know, uh, displays downstairs uh, that were derived from the Chronicles of Narnia, the the book series that Lewis had written that's kind of an allegory of the Christian faith and whatnot. And um, I I love Lewis, I love the stories, I love uh, how he connects and communicates. Uh, but there's a part of uh, the Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, uh, the famous Lewis book, uh, there's a part of that that, is, uh, uh, that always inspires me. And they do a beautiful depiction of that uh, in the movie that was made regarding that book. And there's a segment in the movie where they make a reference to the momentum of Aslan, the great lion. And what they say is that Aslan is on the move. And you know when Aslan is on the move, things are about to start happening in Narnia. Life is about to be created in Narnia. There's going to be a recovery, a a revival in a sense in Narnia. It's a beautiful, beautiful image. And so this morning when we pick up the scripture here, God is on the move. And when God is on the move, the children of God then are on the move. And we'll find that as we read this scripture that it's that's a, a very significant part of this scripture. And that is following God. When, God. when God shifts, we shift. When God stops, we stop. When God moves, we move. And that's part of following God. And that's something that you and I need to kind of gear ourselves uh, to is that we're responding to God's word and God's presence more so than we're responding to our liking or those things that are advantageous for us uh, because there's times when God has us moving into arenas or areas that doesn't seem like it's the best place to move into, right? We've all experienced that, right? You've experienced it, Terry? Okay, Terry's experienced that. So at least Terry will understand what I'm talking about this morning. Okay, I believe there's others who found themselves somewhat muted this morning that have probably experienced that as well. Right? So let's look at this. The scripture in Exodus chapter 23 verse 20, and this is what it says. He says, See, I am sending an angel ahead of you to guard you along the way and to bring you to the place... I have prepared. Let's pray. Let's pray. Father in Jesus' name. Lord, I feel like I've got 300 eyes looking at me this morning uh, for answers, maybe for, for understanding. I don't but Lord, you know, you know how desperately I need you this morning. You know how, Father, in my own strength and in my own intellect and my own understanding in my own communication, Lord, I can absolutely, absolutely hijack and destroy uh, the very uh, the very message you have for us this morning. I don't want to do that, Lord. I don't want to get in the way of what it is that you're saying this morning. Lord, I li- literally just want to shift myself in your direction and just kind of hide behind you. I want to just kind of slide in behind you and just be hid in your presence and allow you to speak to your sons and daughters this morning because we're one family gleaning from one loving Father through one loving Father's words this morning. And Father, even though we read the Scripture and and it seems so far removed from us, where we're at today, Father, may there be something in the Scripture, Lord, that attaches to our spirit And we leave here with a greater understanding of who you are and through that we are transformed even more so into the image of Jesus to the extent that it prompts within us a Jesus response to the cares of this world. So Father, we're hedging ourselves in behind you now. Lord, speak through your word this morning untarnished Untarnished by me or anyone else here, may your word just penetrate into the hearts of your sons and your daughters this morning. In the name of Jesus, we all pray. Amen. Amen. Okay, let's look at this. Let's look at this. Because this is somewhat of a, a, a sometimes this can be somewhat confusing. Okay, when we read these types of of Scripture where He says, See, I am sending an angel ahead of you to guard you along the way and to bring you to a place I have prepared. we, We sometimes get confused about this whole angel concept and who it is that God is sending ahead. But if we do some deductive studying in the Scripture, we come to find out who this angel of the Lord really is. It is a, this cloud that represents God is a manifestation of God's essence. Leading his people, this is what we call within the theological realm what a theophany, right? It is a manifestation of God's presence in a tangible, measurable way by humankind, so they can recognize a the theophany. Now, whenever Jesus would identify or or show himself in the Old Testament in in a human form, that would be then called a Christophany, and it's the appearance of Jesus prior to the birth of Jesus in the New Testament. So, and, and, and the reason I say we can kind of deduct this, all we have to do is jump back a, a, a few chapters, right? We jump back into Exodus chapter 13, verse 21 and 22, and this is what the Scripture says. By day the Lord went ahead of them in a pillar of cloud, Right? We see that. And then you jump into Exodus chapter 14. This is what the scripture says. Then the angel of God who had been traveling in front of Israel's army withdrew and went behind them. The pillar of cloud also moved from in front and stood behind them as well. So we understand, We have an idea. This is the very presence of God. So anything that is then being spoken out of uh, this, this manifestation isn't the manifestation's a separate uh, 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 understanding or, or separate uh, counsel, whatever is spoken or guided through this manifestation, it is being uh, birthed in the heart and the very essence of God. This isn't a conflicting type dynamic. Are you with me? Do you understand what I'm talking about? We understand that God's leading them, right? No confusion here. As a matter of fact, in the Hebrew, the word angel on uh, many occasions means messenger anyway. Meaning what? So when you get a message from the cloud, you need to listen, right? Okay, so we we have an understanding Then that God's presence is leading them. As a matter of fact, when we look into Numbers chapter 9, we're going to read some scripture this morning, but it's absolutely pertinent, okay? When we jump into Numbers chapter 9, verse 15 through 23, this is what it says about that cloud and the tent of meeting, okay? This is what it says. Or the tabernacle on the day of the tabernacle, the tent of the covenant law was set up, the cloud covered it, the presence of God, the angel of God covered it, from evening till morning. I want you to check this out. The cloud above the tabernacle looked like fire. That is how it continued to be. Uh, to continue to be, the cloud covered it, and at night it looked like fire. Whenever the cloud lifted from above the tent, the Israelites set out. Wherever the cloud settled, the Israelites encamped. Are you with me? You see this? All right. At the Lord's command, the Israelites set out, and at His command, they encamped. The command is what? A message. The message wasn't something that was just simply being spoken. It was something that was identifiable, tangible. You could witness the movement. So the very movement of God's presence was a command or a message. Saying what? If I move, you move. If I park, you park. Now you and I as followers of Jesus, Daniel, need to subscribe, Frankie, to the movement of God's presence in our life. I'm going to park wherever he parks and I'm going to go wherever he goes. That is the best place for me to be. We understand this, right? If you think or you have reasoned in your own heart, your own mind, that there's a safer, better, more beneficial place to be than the presence of God, then you've reasoned in error as followers of Jesus, Kellen, Regardless of how you've come to that conclusion, if you've come to that conclusion, you are in error. And it will prove itself out. But so this is what the scripture says: As long as the cloud stayed over the tabernacle, they remained encamped. Let me. When the cloud remained over the tabernacle a long time, the Israelites obeyed the Lord's order and did not set out. Now listen to this: Sometimes the cloud was over the tabernacle only a few days. At the Lord's command, they would encamp, and then, as it, at His command, they would set out. Sometimes the cloud, listen stayed only from evening till morning. And when it lifted in the morning, they set out, whether by day or by night. You get this? Meaning this, God's active 24-7. The potential for God's movement isn't displaced or nullified based upon your schedule or convenience. These cats may have camped in the morning hours, and sometime in the midnight hour, the spirit began to move, the pillar would begin to move, the pillar, and these cats would have to get up whether it was one o'clock, two o'clock, three o'clock, and they would move. I got up this morning at four o'clock, couldn't help it there. I just woke up. And when I woke up, and I'm wide awake, right? I'm wide awake at four o'clock this morning. And I ask myself, Lord, why am I so wide awake? And God is my witness to what I'm about to say, I begin to think of each and every one of you, everyone I can think of in this church. And As I open that scripture, I just begin to pray for you. And I begin to pray, oh God, who is ever whoever's here this morning. husband, wife, son, or daughter, whoever it is this morning, oh God, I pray for them as they enter into this place that their hearts would be softened and their minds and spirits receptive. I believe God woke me up. His spirit was moving to intercede and pray for the hearts of those who would be in here today. He didn't ask me. Had he had to say, God, give me another hour of good sleep, Aaron. Give me a good hour. The Spirit just moved, prompted. And up I rose. And sometimes we just have to respond to whatever God is saying to us. It's not, He's not working based on our schedule. And this is what the Scripture says. Whether the cloud stayed over the tabernacle for two days, listen, or a month, or a year, the Israelites would remain in camp and not set out, but when it lifted, they would set out. At the Lord's command, they encamped, and at the Lord's command, they set out. May you and I, as followers of Jesus, have the resolve to be rooted for a week, a month, a day, an hour, a year, a year. You say, man, I've been here for six months. Why isn't God moving? Where is God in this? What do I do? Well, if God led you there, I've said this many times, then you stay there till He moves you from there. And it may be longer than you expect, it may not be so short lived. He may park you in a place that doesn't feel so advantageous to you. But if his presence is there, make that place home. I pray that you would make that place home. But we have to be able to hear him, Jessica. we got to be able to... i just call you Jesse. we got to be able to hear him. we got to be able to hear the message or the command. we got to be able to sense his presence. I don't know how many of you, how many of you know of an, in, in, an inventor named uh, Woody Norris? No one? Uh, Chuck Norris? No Ken. Okay, Woody Norris. He developed something called hypersonic sound technology. Now, how many of you are familiar with hypersonic sound technology? Okay, Trent, just abandon that. No, no, no. I'm going to tell you a little bit about hypersonic sound technology. Hypersonic sound technology is a technology where they, they concentrate sound uh, in a column, building it layer upon layer to where sound is absolutely precise and directed. Meaning, using hypersonic sound, I could send to Brie a message right where she sits if she's in line with this column or this beam that Kevin could not hear As a matter of fact, it is so precise that if you move outside of a foot or two of that beam of sound, you'll have no idea that there's any sound whatsoever. As a matter of fact, today, you can go on to Amazon or you can go on to some other vendor and you can buy hypersonic directional speakers, which would allow your wife to lay in bed and sleep while you're watching sports and only you would hear it if it were directed at you. That's pretty amazing, is it not? Now, this technology has been sold to the government for military purposes, so not everyone who's, who thinks they're schizophrenic and hearing things are actually hearing things that aren't real. You know what I'm talking about? They said they use this technology actually in warfare. They said they can project these sounds up to 450 feet. They said there have been times where they have identified terrorist snipers in certain areas, have taken this hypersonic sound, generated a certain sound and have quoted Scripture to that man unbeknownst to him, that's where it was coming from. The terrorist ready to uh, unload a round into an American soldier, U.S. soldier, all of a sudden hears the voice of God quoting Scripture, looks around, no one else hears it. You understand the application, right? The incredible thing about hypersonic sound, and you, you can buy this if you want to pay for this, It's out there. Is that for you to benefit from hypersonic sound there, you've got to be in the line of fire. You've got to be in the line of communication. You can be to the left or to the right and benefit from the sound that's being projected through this hypersonic method. It is the exact same way with God. That is the reason we gather in places like this And some people leave unfed, and some people leave gorged on the Spirit and on God's Word. And it has less to do with what's being said and more to to do with where you're posturing yourself in line of the sight of sound of God's Word. One man sits next to another man and says, I got nothing from this. The other guy sitting right here says, I got everything from that. Why is that? He has placed himself there to hear the command, to be able to identify the speech and the uh, the, the method of communication of God. So you and I, along with the Israelites, need to identify his presence. We need to get ourselves in line with that and turn things up man regardless if anyone else positions themselves in the same line of sound it is up to you and me to position ourselves that we might hear from God and then respond maybe the reason a lot of people aren't responding is because they're not hearing They're not hearing because they're in the wrong position. He said, I I am sending an angel ahead of you to guard you along the way and to bring you to a place I have prepared. His intentions are there. You, You do understand that God, in guiding you, His intentions are to guard you. Have you ever felt unguarded? Have you ever felt abandoned by him? Maybe it's because you're not in that spot. Have you ever felt like he wasn't leading you to a place that he's prepared? Maybe you took a left when you should have taken a right because you're not there in that spot hearing him. And this is what the Lord says. In regards to this manifestation. This angel of the Lord. Pay attention to him and listen to what he says. Do not rebel against him. He will not forgive your rebellion. The word listen is the Hebrew word "shamar," And it means to listen with the intent of obedience. To listen with the intent of obedience. Now there's notice it doesn't say hear me. But it says listen. Now every wife out there. Understands. The difference, because you've experienced a husband, right? The difference between hearing and listening, right? Can I get, my sister say amen. Sandra says amen. <laughs> <laughs> There's a difference, you see, between hearing and listening. But he says right there, he says Pay attention to him and listen to what he says. Do not rebel against him. He will not forgive you. Now, that's pretty stout stuff. It? it says he will not forgive your rebellion. You know what that's really saying. You understand what's... It's not saying that, for example, in 1 John 1, 9, when it says, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all, all unrighteousness. Now, we know God is faithful to forgive us. Scripturally, contextually, what it's absolutely saying here, and don't get it mixed up, is this. There's repercussions. You will not go unaddressed, and you will not go what? Unchastised. God will not turn a blind eye to your disobedience. He loves you too much to let you wander in the decision making that you're making to your own self-destruction, not to intervene and allow you to reap some of that. He's not putting on the blinders. Then it says this, verse 22, if you listen carefully to what he says, and do all that I say, see the listening, the doing, I will be an enemy to your enemies, and I will oppose those who oppose you. I will oppose those who oppose you. Why is that? Because if you're doing what God wants you to do, when God wants you to do it, they're not actually opposing you. They're opposing him in you. And God says, if that's the case, then they will find opposition from me. I will oppose them. That's a pretty powerful thought, that you're walking with the ultimate big brother in Jesus. The ultimate. You know when your kids, every little kid, every little kid, I got in these arguments all the time in school. You know what the argument I'm about to pose. My brother beat up your brother. I was like, well, your brother might beat up my brother, but he won't beat up all five of them or four of them. And I know he ain't going to beat up my sisters. They mean too. The ultimate, to have God, to find yourself in alignment with God to where he opposes those opposing the purpose of God in your life, Frankie. That's a thought, man, that should encourage you. Even when the opposition seems to be accelerated and ever growing, it'll never exceed the strength, width, breadth of God. <laughs> Who could be against you if God be for you, right? All right, let's, let's, let's look at this. And then he says this. My angel will go ahead of you and bring you into the land of the Amorites, Hittites, Perizzites, Canaanites, Hivites, and Jebusites. Now watch this. God doing all the heavy lifting. And I will wipe them out. I'll clear the way. I will, says the Lord. I will. And then he says this, man, get this. Get this. Do not bow down before their gods. That's one command. That's one command. Or worship them. There's a second one, don't do that. Or the third, or follow their practices. Now, listen, listen, there's some of us who would say, oh man, I'm not bowing down uh, before foreign gods. No, no, I'm not worshiping them. No, no, no. Oh, that last one. I do kind of act like them, I do kind of respond like them, I do kind of have their attitude. I do kind of smell like them, respond like them. I kind of got their flavor. And God is saying right there, do not bow down before their gods or worship or follow their practices. And he goes on and he says, you must demolish them and break their sacred stones to pieces. Literally. Now listen, let me me ask this. I'm not going to go into what what that means. We'll get into that later as we study the scripture. But there are certain edifices that were created within some of these Canaanite and Hittite and Jebusite, the, the, the worship of their, of their, of their uh, uh, pagan gods, that were physical structures. That God was saying to the Israelites, destroy those things. Destroy them. When it says pieces, it basically means basically shatter them to dust. The smallest, the smallest of, of, of elements, just crush them. Now you and I as followers of Jesus, we have to be really, really honest in our, with ourselves and really search our hearts at times to ask ourselves, what, what are the things Though we're not blatantly pursuing false gods and blatantly worshiping false gods, what are the things that are in the way of life that we are allowing to remain in our lives that continue to produce negative things in our life, that are continuing to produce death in our life? When God has already told us on numerous occasions... Do not allow these things to infringe upon your life. Do not allow these things to coexist in your life with me because they produce death and we still allow those things to kind of partner with us and be involved in the daily rituals of our lives and we're shocked and amazed that they continue to produce in us death. When God has said to us on so many occasions, as he said to the Israelites, destroy that stuff. Let's talk about the evils of Facebook. Can we do that? All right. Okay, okay. Kind of joking, but but not joking. You know how many people I've heard say things like this? Man, I got to get off Facebook. That's driving me crazy. Then get off of it. I gotta get off Twitter, man. Those people are driving me crazy. Then get off of it. I gotta get off Instagram. Those people are driving me crazy. Then get off of it. Six months later, same people coming to me and said, man, Facebook is driving me crazy. Still. Instagram is still driving me crazy. Twitter's still driving me crazy. And in the words of Dwayne Evans, FaceSpace is driving me crazy. then why is it still sitting there in your life? Why are you still partnering with this stuff that's pulling and detracting you or distracting you? I hate Facebook. I hate it. What are you looking at, Trent? Oh, I'm on Facebook. <laughs> sitting there talking to my wife and she's like, Trina, Clark needs this, that, and another. And I'm like, what? Oh, no, I'm in I'm my groups. I'm, I'm, I'm buying something. I'm, I'm I'm in Facebook right now. Speak to me when I'm done. That's a joke, but you guys know I'm serious. All you have to do is go out into into a venue, go into a restaurant, man. All you have to do is open your eyes, man. You see people sitting around You see husbands and wives, sons and daughters, man, all in around the table. And, man, I don't even know if a word's being spoken between them people. Right? Right? And then they'll say to each other as they lay in bed, man, our family seems so distracted. Our family seems so detached. We just don't really spend quality time together. And then the husband says, "What? I'm on Facebook. What? What'd you say?" You... We're getting real, right? What is it in your life? It may not be any of those three things that continue to produce the snares. When God has already spoken to you, my young sister, my young brother, rid yourself of that stuff, man. Destroy that stuff. He says this. Now, I need, you to, I need you to hold on to this verse, okay? Hold on to this verse. He says, Worship the Lord your God, and his blessings will be on your food and your water. I will take away sickness from among you, and none will miscarry or be barren in your land. I will give you a full lifespan. Hold that. Hold that. Verse 25, verse 26. Remember that. Remember that verse. He says, I will send my terror ahead of you and throw into confusion every nation you encounter. I will make your enemies turn their backs and run. I will send the hornet ahead of you to drive out the Hibbites, the Canaanites, and the Hittites out of your way. You know what he's saying right there? You know what he's implying? That they're going to be in your way. That there's going to be obstacles. There's going to be barriers. There's going to be resistance in following God. These things present themselves. But then he says this, and I want you to get this. But I will not drive them out in a single year. Lord, what about the the people that's giving me opposition? The situation at work that's giving me opposition? These variables that I find resistance from, Lord... I've already prayed. Why don't you, why don't you just zap that stuff? You know what I'm talking about? Why don't you just just rain fire from heaven, right, right? You know what I'm talking about? Why don't you just do that? Why don't you do a, you know, uh, the uh, uh, the sons of thunder kind of thing, right? Just pour down fire from heaven, get rid of all that opposition in my life. Why are you going to wait a year? Why why am I having to deal with this for so long? This is what he says right here. This is what he says. But I will not drive them out in a single year because the land would become desolate and the wild animals are too numerous for you. You know what he's saying right there? Get this. Get this upon leaving today. Get this. There is something beneficial about having the opposition in your life for a season of your life. And in their case, it was to manage the assets that God was about to give them. He says to them, understand what he says right here, the land would suffer if I drove everything out before you were ready to take possession of it. Then the land would suffer and then the animals are too numerous for you to deal with. Do you see that? I'm going to allow some things to park in your life for a while that you may not understand right now, but believe me, because I know your condition, I'm not taking that stuff out. Because if I do, your life will be desolate. You will suffer under a load of mismanagement because you're not prepared to move into that sector of your life. So I'm allowing them to stay there to manage the things that you have not yet matured into the state of managing for yourself. He says in verse 30, check this out. Little by little, I will drive them out before you until you have increased enough to take possession of the land. Do you get that? Do you see the care of God? Do you see that? That is absolutely wonderful. Little, God is working on this scale, recognizing that growth is needed. He says, little by little, And this is what I know to be true, okay? This is what I know to be true. We need the process of God altering and changing us little by little. Because if we do not experience the process of little by little, the changing, the chipping away, the altering, the transforming... If we don't experience that, and then we're pushed into a place of of, of, uh, responsibility over whatever it is that we have hurried ourselves into, we don't have the tools to maintain it. We don't have the maturity to maintain it. We don't have the understanding to govern it. It's like the individual who comes out of a broken marriage still broken because they're not willing to go under the little by little transformation of themselves. And then they go into a healthy marriage. They say, God, give me a healthy marriage. What they don't realize is the little by little work that is needed because it hasn't taken place, it'll break the next marriage. But they don't want to subject themselves to the little by little transformation that is needed. I need a solution. I need to be in the perfect situation. If you're in the perfect situation, you will ruin ruin it if the little by little work hasn't taken place. I need the promotion at work. I've been waiting a long time. Maybe you need to wait a little longer. Maybe there's still some working that needs to be done in your heart, in your mind, in your spirit before you engage on that level. You know how many people I've seen jump into jobs, jump into situations unprepared, really not mature enough to handle that, then all of a sudden they get in that, man, they're completely and utterly overwhelmed, and then the thing that they perceive to be a blessing become a great crushing weight because they didn't want to go through the process of being exposed to God and allowing God to dig into them deeply, and begin to do the little by little stuff that was necessary. You know why? Because the little by little work is scary work. But sometimes it requires God going really deep and digging up stuff that we've spent a great deal of our lives burying with the hopes that it would never be unearthed. I remember 1991, September 25th. I got saved in 1988, September 25th. In 1991, September 22nd, I really committed my life to the Lord. Many of you understand that, right? When you first get saved, there's a lot of things I didn't know, Billy. I didn't know a lot of things. So when I got saved, I was green. I mean, I was green to the faith. Cucumber green, man. You know what I'm talking about? I was green. A lot of things I didn't I didn't understand that God was wanting my life. I just didn't want to go to hell. Any of y'all been there? Made a commitment to God? Not really a commitment. You just said, hey, I've taken the the get out hell-free thing. I'm Yeah, I take it, God. And then all of a sudden God began to do some stuff in your life. You're like, oh, yeah. He starts to dig. And you're like, mm. and then all of a sudden you begin to realize in your pursuit of God that God was asking so much more of you, desiring so much, such a greater level of intimacy. Well, in 1991, on September 22nd, I conceded to God's, God's approach to me and his poor and his... And so I conceded to that with the understanding of what it was that God was asking me. I said, Lord, I want, I, I want all in. Then about eight months later, He said, Trent, I want you to start sharing the gospel. Kellen remembers those first few times I preached. Much shorter than now. (laughs) He remembers those first few times I stumbled around that King James spitting words out both sides of my mouth. Not to say that I still don't do that. I may still do that. But I remember, and I remember feeling the pressure from the church culture that I needed to become educated and I needed to be preaching ever. I needed to find a church kind of thing. I remember feeling this. But what I knew, and in hindsight, I've been leading in this capacity here at the church now for about eight years. What I knew back in 1991, 92, when I started, I wasn't ready to do this, Kevin. Even though a call was on my life. A call on your life doesn't mean that you're ready to actually work on the call. As a matter of fact, I would go so far as to say a lot of people who have been called have been overwhelmed and disheartened because they jumped into the field of ministry without ever having the little by little work done in them. They jumped the gun. They wasn't prepared, ready, mature. But the church culture pushes them and pushes them. And I know I wasn't ready. God did a lot of work. I told my wife many times. She said, do you ever think you'll be a pastor? I said, absolutely not. I said, I don't have the disposition or the the acclimate to pastor people. I said, that's not in me. And you know what? I was right. It wasn't in me. But you know what's happened, Brooke, over many years, over decades now? A lot of little by little. And so when... God said, Trent, this is what I'm wanting you to do. I entered into this sense of service a completely different person, Jay, than I was in 1991 and 92. Though the calling was, was legitimate then, there was a process that God was doing in me. King David, who arose to the throne at age 30, most theologians think when Samuel came to anoint him as king, he was somewhere between the age of 8 years old to 15, which means he waited 15 to 22 years before ascending the throne. You know why? There was a whole lot of little by little that needed to be done in the shepherd boy. And We gather in places like this. And we raise our hands. And we celebrate God's But we continue on in our brokenness. And we're ruining things that God has given us because we're not allowing Him. We're pushing through. We're jumping the gun. We're not allowing the little by little work to be done. And we sabotage the very efforts of God on our lives. This is what He says. Little by little I will drive them out before you until you have increased enough to take possession of the land. Do you remember that scripture I told you to hold on to? Y'all remember that? 25, 26? Pull that back up, Clark, please. Y'all remember this? Okay, let me drop this truth on you. What did he just tell them the reason he's doing the little by little? They needed to the increase, Right? Prior to the need being recognized, what was God already working on? The increase. He had already told them, Jack, look, listen, I'm going to bless your food and water, your nourishment. I will take away your sickness. Your men are going to be strong. Your women are going to be healthy. And none of the women will miscarry or be barren in your land. Reproduction, man, I'm going to see to it that it's happening. And I'm giving every one of you cats a full lifespan. You know what God was saying? I'm already preparing the answer to a problem and a deficit you don't even realize you have. Do you understand what I'm saying? He said, I'm doing the little by little work until you increase. But I've already got the method of increase in the works. Jay, remember the medicine dropper? Remember what I told you? That's what I feel. This week, I get a phone call or a text message from friends here at the church. They say to me, they say, Trent, they say to Carrie as well, there's a need, a young mom, and she's got three kids, there's four of them. They're in a... a, a dire situation. Is there anything the church could do? There are several people trying to help, but could the church get involved? Could the church help? And I said, let me get back with you. Let me get back with you. And so I, I go back there and I see the The blessing bowls. I I confer with the rest of the leadership to uh, uh, to get the okay to extend this blessing into the lives of this mother and three children. And when I go back there, there's ten or eleven weeks of accumulative blessing bowls, and it totals Matthew somewhere around eleven hundred fifty dollars. The need was presented to me on a Wednesday. God had been working on providing that need for 10 or 11 weeks. Do you not see what I'm talking about? Do you not see what I'm talking about? The young lady told our friends here at the church, said Wednesday night she got an overwhelming sense of comfort and peace from God. She got the peace of God. A follower of Jesus she is. She had the peace of God, but what she didn't know was that God had the answer. She just had the peace. She was trusting. And the answer had been built upon through your hands and your generosity over a period of 10, 11 weeks. I believe that first blessing bow God had designated for this young mother, we had no idea. The second he had designated the third, he had designated the fourth, the fifth, the sixth, the seventh. He saw what we couldn't see. And in essence, in this young lady's life, what he was doing was what he was doing for the Israelites. He was putting it into place and into work and into the process an answer a problem they didn't know they had but he knew. Okay, let's close. Let's close. Let me say this to you. I don't know where you're at right now. Okay, I don't know. I don't know what you I don't know what it is. I don't know the brokenness. I don't know the, the struggle. I don't know... but he knows and I'm telling you he has compiled the answer for you he has compiled the answer for your marriage for your job for your family, for your sons and your daughters he has compiled these things and he's been doing it he's been doing it the entire time unbeknownst to you the answer awaits you in him And that's how God closes chapter 23. With a declaration, basically, the answer's in me. And this is what he says to them, right? This is what he says to them in closing. I will, the heavy lifter says, establish your borders from the Red Sea to the Mediterranean Sea and from the desert to the Euphrates River. I will, the heavy lifter says, give into your hands the people who live in the land, And you will drive them out before you. And then he says this. Do not make a covenant with them or with their gods. Do not let them live in your land or they will cause you to sin against me. Because the worship of their gods will certainly be a snare to you. God said, I've got all the heavy lifting that you care of. I've got all the provision taken care of. But you need to listen and you need to follow. And what we do sometimes, we find ourselves in these situations that we abandon the reason of God and we embrace our own reason. And our intellect becomes our God and our idol, our understanding, our resources, our gifting, our talents. And all of a sudden, man, we're just like everybody else. And we're being guided through our difficulties just the same way they are. And we become a snare to ourselves, Jesse. We become a snare to ourselves. Do you think you've got the answer in yourself? you think you're the answer? How's that working for you? I can tell you how it worked for me, Jay, miserably miserably and you'll get to the other side of this man if you don't abandon that and realign yourself with a God who loves you in Jesus you'll come to that same conclusion and miserable will be your state of living but it doesn't have to be (laughs) it doesn't have to be Kevin it don't have to be it doesn't have to be What I would encourage you to do, my brothers, my sisters, is expose yourself to the crafty handwork of a loving God. Though painful, wants to do some digging and pulling out some stuff little by little and say to God this morning, I'm in it for the long haul. However long this season of little for little lasts, I subscribe to it. I'm in it. I want the work to be done to my benefit and to the benefit of those who are in my life, for those who are in my church family, those who are in my community, those that are in my school, those that are in my workplace. They need the little by little work done in me too because they're dealing with the brokenness of who I am now. Staying with me this morning. With your heads bowed, your eyes closed, Carrie's just going to come for a moment. Just for a moment. Just for a moment. With your heads bowed, I... I The reason I like to do that, and I've said it, and it sounds somewhat redundant this morning, but when you bow your heads and you close your eyes, you enter into your own little prayer chamber, your own prayer closet, where no one sees you and you see no one else. It's just you and God. So with your heads bowed and your eyes closed, enter into that prayer closet right now. And in this moment... I beseech you, I plead, I beg of you. Ask God, ask him. Not how to fix your husband, not how to fix your, your wife, not how to fix your daughter, not how to fix your son. Ask him about you. Ask him and say, Lord, how did I how did I get here? How have I avoided? all of my life, exposing myself to your surgical care in removing this stuff. And it continues to produce, Lord. I thought I had mastered it. I thought I had conquered it. I thought I was stronger than it. And it continues to surface to my own shame and my own guilt. I try to suppress it, and the more I squeeze to hold it in, the greater force is being applied to to the extent that it just, just, just flows from within my fingers it just pours out. It's like trying to hold water in your hands. It just pours out. Wouldn't today be a good day just to start, man? Wouldn't today be a good day just to kind of slide in there and say, Lord, how about just a little today? Not even a little by little. But Lord, would you start just a little? (laughs) Because a little by little seems really scary. Really, really frightening. But Lord, I am willing to open myself up to a little. Could you begin there? And I believe if you're willing to lay yourself before a God who loves you, He's been planning this moment for a long time. His answers for your questions have been waiting for you. Today could be your day to start a period, a time, a season of some deep work of God. Wouldn't it be an incredible thing That your children would come home and say, man, what a change. That your husband would come home and say, oh, what a change. Your co-workers would say, man, I don't know what's going on, but man, what a change. Today's your day, this is your opportunity. Why don't you respond to it? to a God that loves you this morning. And allow Him this morning to start doing that work in your heart and in your life this morning. In the name of Jesus.